We're going to continue our series on the miracles of Jesus this morning. At least the miracles of Jesus through the book of John. Uh, after we lay some groundwork, eventually we're going to be in John chapter 9. John is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. It's probably one of my favorite because it's, it's simplicity. John wasn't a super learned man. He wrote with such simplicity. Uh, if you're anything like me, and I'm kind of dumb. I'm not saying that you should admit that you're dumb. But if you're anything like me, um, you read something in the Bible and you think to yourself, well, man, that was, that was awesome. But why the heck is it there? What does that have to do with anything? Why is that in there? And we don't run into that. In John, because he's straightforward about why he included what he included. You can find it in, in, uh, in um, chapter 20, verse 30. He says, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Verse 31, he says, but these are written. He says, look, he did a whole lot of things that I didn't record, but the ones that I did record, these miracles right here, these are recorded so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and in that believing, you might have life. That is to say, you might have eternal life through his name. So he's straightforward with his purpose. We know why it was in the book. Chapter 1 also reveals something that I believe is crucial to our understanding of Jesus, his purpose here on this earth during his first advent. You see chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And just so that maybe we're not mistaken into thinking that John was talking about some other member of the Trinity, maybe the Holy Spirit, um, he includes in verse 14, he says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. So John introduces Jesus to us as the Word. Now, I have been, I've been called a whole lot of things in my day. I have never been called the word. I've been called a lot of words. I've been called some words, but I've never been called the word. That is a very specific title that John gives to Jesus. And look, there's a lot of history that goes behind it. There's a lot of different things behind it. But for the sake of simplicity, for the sake of understanding, and also for the sake of time this morning, think about it. How do we communicate our thoughts? How do we communicate our, our desires, our will. How do we communicate those things? Generally, we communicate them through our words. So John introduces Jesus to us as the communication of God's will to us. He is the word. He is not some words. He is not a word, but he is the word. He is God's communication to us. And I can't think of any Better way to communicate than your, your will than through the very one who communicated or, or who created all that we see, everything. All of creation was created through his communication. Who better than to communicate his will than the one who created communication? The master communicator. Every sign, every miracle... Every work, every word recorded in this book is not by coincidence. Everything points to a divine purpose. Right? Each and every miracle, each and every sign, Jesus shows himself to be sufficient in some area where, where as humans, we are found insufficient. Some area where we are inadequate. Each sign, each miracle 
is followed by a discourse which reveals humanity's spiritual inadequacy. Last week, for example, we looked at John chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000. Directly following that miracle, Jesus enters into a discourse in which he reveals, right? He states his first of seven I am statements, right? He says, I am the bread of life. In other words, what you've been putting in, right, what you've been trying to fill yourselves with, it's not sufficient, right? This, this vain tradition, this religion that's void, these, these works that are void of any sort of real heart application, it's not sufficient. Look, and just as God provided manna from heaven to sustain your fathers while they were in the, uh, in the wilderness, God has sent me from heaven. But if you eat of this bread, chapter 6, uh, verse 58, ye shall live forever, and our passage this week is sandwiched in between two discourses in which Jesus reveals his second I am statement, in which he states, I am the light of the world. And what better way to illustrate this truth, this spiritual truth, than by physically healing a blind guy? Take a look at it with me, verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. And Jesus, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind since birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Nearly three weeks ago now, Megan and I were standing in the house of a, a mother and a, her 16-year-old son in the village of El Dorado, Guatemala. And uh, we went. We went with the purpose of um, trying to be an encouragement to this family. We went with the national pastor there of the Mana Church in El Dorado. And we were trying to encourage this family through this, this very tough time that they had been going through. Um, see, like two years before our arrival, uh, the young man, whose name was Augustine, by the way, the young man was working in a field with his father, and two men, they, they came to rob him, and, uh, and they shot him in the leg. And uh, the bullet just went like through and through, right? It didn't, it didn't hit any bones. It didn't uh, hit any arteries. Like, and, I, and I'm not trying to downplay getting shot. Look, I'm sure it sucks. Right? I've never been shot. I'm sure it's terrible. I'm not trying to downplay it one bit, but I gotta believe in America, Augustine would have been up and walking probably two weeks. But they took him to the hospital and, and he's poor. They have nothing, no, no sort of health care, no money, no way to pay for um, any sort of medical care uh, once they got there. And when they took him to the hospital, they, they let him sit for two weeks. Two weeks they didn't attend to him. They just waited he just waited for him to die. And then suddenly when it became apparent that he wasn't going to die, at least, at least not soon, they attended to his wound and then they sent him home. Now, like two years later, he's still bedridden. An infection has set into his leg. They actually, they wanted to amputate his leg like a year ago, but his mom had been holding on to some little small glimmer of hope. See, there was a, a small piece of new flesh that had started to grow. But uh, barring a miracle, 
Augustine's right leg was amputated last week. And we, we went to try to encourage him. We went to try to be an, an encouragement, somehow lift him up through this time, right? And, uh, I mean, if, if anybody ought to be able to at least bring a smile to his face, it should, it should be me, right? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of goofy or dumb, and, and I work with teenagers all the time. I mean, that's my people, right? I should have something I could say to at least bring a smile to his face. But in this, in this moment, man, I'm at a complete loss for words. Now, I got nothing. What do you say? What can I possibly say? And uh, as the, the pastor we were there with, he begins to pray for healing in this family's life. There's another pastor there, and he begins to translate that pastor's prayer. And, and as he's praying, the mother, she, she just begins to weep and cry out to God. And understand, I, I, don't, I don't know a single word of Spanish. I didn't take any in school. I, I know nothing. I don't understand or really know one word that she said. But in that moment, I understood everything that she meant. You understand, like the, the petitions of a mother weeping on, on behalf of her son, crying out to God, that's, that's a universal language. In that moment, I understood everything that she meant, but, but I had nothing. I had nothing that I could say. And the only thing that just kept coming back over and over in that moment is this, this hard, hard truth that we find in Scripture. We, we find it in, in the book of Job. We find it in, in Paul's life. And we run head on to it in our passage here this morning. And that truth is that God may allow suffering. He may allow uh, affliction for the purpose of manifesting his power to bring glory to his name. That's a hard truth. Oh, but what a joy that we may be found worthy to suffer, to bring his name glory. What a joy that I may be found a, a worthy a, a vessel to, to suffer affliction, to bring glory to the name of the Savior. And that's one of the truths that we run into in our passage this morning. This man has been blind since birth. And not, not because of anything that he's done, not because of anything that his parents have done, but he's been blind from birth for this moment right here. Verse 3, Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that has sent me while it is yet day. And night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground. And he made clay of spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation is sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed, and he came seen. Now, I want you to notice something with me, uh, if you will, through this passage. Not once, not, not one single time do we see the blind man in this passage begging Jesus for a miracle. Not one time does he ask for a miracle. And see, I believe too many times we, we get paralyzed. We stand paralyzed by, by this mountain, this immovable thing in front of us, paralyzed by this thing that we have deemed to be an affliction. And the only thing that we can bring ourselves to do in that moment is to just cry out to God that he, he intervenes on mankind's behalf instead of choosing just to give God the glory right where we are regardless of the outcome. 
See, the ultimate goal is never the miracle. The ultimate goal is always, always the glory of God. And that's why no matter what is happening in your life, no matter the affliction, no matter what it is that you may be going through, no matter what mountain stands in front of you, you can be doing the will of God because the will of God is always the glory of God. Now, I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't bring your petitions before God. I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't pray to him. But all I am saying is that there are times when the saint may have to suffer in order for God's plan to be perfected. And if you don't buy that, let's take a look at the life of Jesus. Additionally, if this man was blind since birth so that the power of God might be made evident through his life, then that means that there was nothing wrong with him in the first place. He's doing exactly what he was created to do. Verse 6, and when he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground and made clay of spittle and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Jesus he spits on the ground and he reaches down and he, he makes some clay out of the dust of the ground and a spit. And he takes it and he anoints it on the blind man's eyes. Now I have not the slightest clue as to why the, the, the very one who was able just to will water in the wine, the, the very one who changed the, the molecular makeup of water, if you will, just with his will, the very one who could just speak healing into existence, chose this method to heal this man. But if you were to backtrack a little with me through the book of John, you would see that each and every miracle that he's done up to this point, he's done through a different method. See, he doesn't allow us to synchronize this, this five steps to healing. And I got to believe it's because God doesn't want us to fall in love with, with the, the, the plan or the method of healing, right? He doesn't want us to fall in love with that. Rather, he wants us to fall in love with the one who has the power to heal in the first place. Notice with me again, verse 6, And when he had thus spoken, he sped on the ground, and he made clay of spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. The blind man still ain't said nothing. Not a word. He still ain't asked. He still ain't said nothing. He's just standing exactly where he's supposed to be, doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And the miracle's coming to him. Verse 7 and he said unto him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Wait a minute. Go? Go? Nah, I, I still don't know what my next step is. I still can't see. I'm, I'm still in complete darkness. Right? If anything, I'm worse off than I was before. Uh, I, I couldn't see before. But even if I could see, I certainly can't see now through what you put on me. You want me to go? Faith requires a certain level of uncertainty. 
Faith requires a certain level of, of blindness. Right? Hebrews 11.1. 1. It says, faith is the sum of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 11.6, right? We know that um, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And if these things are true, then there are going to be times in our lives when we're just going to have to commit to just go, to just being obedient to God and just go before we even know how to get there. Joshua. Joshua, man. Why are we marching around this city? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to be obedient. We just got to be obedient. And you know what? I'm going to leave the tearing down of the walls. I'm going to leave that to Jesus. Noah. Noah, hey. Why are you building a boat? Because it's going to rain. What the heck is rain? I don't know, man, but I just got to be obedient. Abraham, where are you going? I don't know, but he said, I'm going to know when I get there. The man obeys. He goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes. And immediately he experiences healing. And this miracle, this miracle's so awesome that when he returns, the, the people, they don't even believe it, right? Some people are saying, look, this, that's not even him. That's not even the guy. There's no way this happened. And the guy's like, yo, hey, yo, look, it's me. I'm the guy who was begging, yo, guys, it was me. It was me the whole time. And they ask him, they say, well, well how can you now see? And he tells them, look, man, I, I, a guy named Jesus, he made some muddy. He put it on my eyes. He told me to go wash. I just did what he said, you know, I washed and now I can see. And they asked him, they said, well, well, where is he at? He's like, you guys got to be kidding me. I don't know where he's at. I don't, did you guys miss the part where I said I, I was blind since birth? I've never seen him. I don't have a clue where he is. And they're like, well, how did he do it? He said, I already told you. So they bring him into the Pharisees. And the Pharisees say, how did he do it? How did he do it? Right? And they don't even believe him. As a matter of fact, when, when he explains it to them, immediately the Pharisees, the Pharisees are, are separated, right? They're divided. Some are like, bro, are you kidding me again? This guy, Jesus, he heals on the Sabbath. You have got to be kidding me. There's no way this guy is from God. Which, by the way, I don't know if you see those. There's a reoccurring theme throughout the book of John. Jesus healing on the Sabbath. I'm starting to think that he doesn't really give a crap about your tradition. And so they're divided. Some are like, some are like, man, look, I can't believe this. He healed again on the Sabbath. This guy can't be from God. And others are like, there's no way, there's no possible way he could do these miracles if he wasn't from God. And the Pharisees, they, they stand divided. And you know what they call his parents in? And they call his parents in and say, look, was, was this your son? Like somehow Jesus pulls the, the greatest sleight of hand trick ever. Right, he like takes the blind guy and, like, and he replaces him with the dude who could see but just look like him. And they said, is this your son? And they're like, yes, yes, that's our son. And they said, well, how can he now see? Said, I don't know. I don't know how he can see. As a matter of fact, he's, he's of age. You need to ask him. He'll speak for himself. And verse 22 tells us that his parents were, they were afraid to even sound like they were confessing Jesus as the Christ, because the leaders had already agreed that if anyone had confessed Jesus to be the Christ, 
that they would be excommunicated from the synagogue. Verse 24 tells us they bring him back in. Read it with me. Then again, called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. They said, look, give God all the praise. We know that this Jesus is a sinner. All you have to do is say that you know he's a sinner and your life will be, it'll be straight. You're not going to be excommunicated. Just give God the glory and denounce Jesus Christ, right? Say that he's a sinner. Verse 25, got to be my favorite verse in the whole Bible. Got to be the most genuine testimony I've ever heard. He responds with him in, in verse 25 with, look, sinner or not, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't understand everything, man. I don't know everything about him. I, I don't know if he's a sinner. I don't even know where he's from. But look, here's what I do know, that I was blind and now I can see. And they ask him again, what did he do? How did he open his eyes? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27, he answered them, I have told you already and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, why herein is a marvelous thing? that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, it is not heard that any man opened the eyes of another one that was born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. They excommunicated him. And this, this would have been a huge deal. So much so that, that the people who were excommunicated from the synagogue at that time, they would have started to treat them like leopards. They would, have been, they would have been avoiding them like they had the plague. As a matter of fact, if you were excommunicated and you died, they didn't even give you a proper funeral. They just threw rocks on top of your grave, and they didn't even observe the typical mourning period. See, the blind man, he doesn't, he doesn't have much. As a matter of fact, we, we read at the beginning of the story, he's, he's out front begging. He doesn't have a lot. But what little chance for a normal life that he's just gained through, through now having his eyes open through this vision, he's willing to risk it all for his convictions about Jesus. Verse 35, and Jesus heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto them, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him, and Jesus said, For judgment I am coming into this world. They which see not might see. They which see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words, and they said unto him, Are we blind also? And Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now that ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. He says, Look, it would be better off if you were blind, because then you would have an excuse. But because you think that you know, your sin remains. 
the very people who were supposed to have been able to see the writing on the wall, the very, the very people who should have known were the ones who chose to remain in darkness. The, re, the refusal to relinquish their pride kept them blinded. They were the ones who were supposed to have it all together. They were the ones who were supposed to know the scriptures. And yet their, their pride, their self-righteousness, their tradition, their false interpretation of the word, it kept them from accepting the truth and then changing accordingly. They were the very ones who were in danger of suffering, suffering an eternity in darkness. Oh, but the, the light of the world. He heals the blind guy's physical blindness, but he's not done yet. He heals his spiritual blindness. We are told immediately he worships. Carl, could you um, do me a favor? Could you cut the lights out? Jason, could you, yeah, close them doors? Let's, you know what, man? Let's just get weird for Jesus, right? If you're going to be weird for anything, let's just be weird for Jesus. Now, I don't. I don't really understand how light works. I understand what it does. I mean, I understand that it, it dispels darkness. Right? It could, it could light your path. It could guide your way. I understand that maybe it could, it could fend off the enemies. But I also know That light, if you're not on the right side, can blind you. Just take, take high beams for an example. High beams. High beams are really cool in a car, right? High beams are so sweet. You know what? They're really cool until they're coming up over the hill, shining right in your eyes. And you can't see a thing. See, and I, I don't understand how it works. I don't understand the, the science behind it. I'm not really sure how light casts off darkness. But one thing I do know is that if you want light to be effective, see, here's what, here's what we do. Here's what we do. We, we, we want to march our own path. We want to march to the beat of our own drum. We want to pursue our own will for our glory Right, for our purposes, so that our name, our wealth, our family can be glorified. Right? And we're marching to our own path. And then we say, hey, hey, light of the world. Hey, Jesus, Jesus, would you shine over here on my path? I'm not sure what the next step is. But if you want light to be effective for you, if you want light to guide your path, Right? You have to get behind the light. Right, You have to get behind the light of the world. You have to be on the proper side. You have to be following the light. Carl, you, you can cut the lights back on. We're done. We're done getting weird. See, too many times we expect God to shine his light, to light our path, to guide our way. Right, the path that we're marching for the pursuit of our glory, for our name, for our benefit. Right? And too many people, we live, we live in direct opposition 
to the light of the world. And just like the Pharisees, the very light that should have been guiding their path, that should have been guiding their steps, that should have driven away the enemies from away, was the very light that blinded them. Jesus said in chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Eat of this bread and you shall never die. In chapter 9, I am the light of the world. I have come into this world so that those who were made blind can see. Chapter 10, I am the door. All that come into this sheepfold, they got to come through me. I am the good shepherd. I give my life for the sheep. Chapter 11, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you were dead in your sins, if you believe in me, ye shall live. Chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father but by me. Chapter 15, I am the true vine, and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you can bring forth much fruit. But without me, you can do nothing. Light dispels darkness. It guides our path. Light, just like food, by the way, I am the bread of life. Light, just like food, is a necessity of life. You can't live without it. John introduced Jesus to us as the word, the communication of God's will. And there is nothing Nothing that is made more evident through the life of Jesus Christ about the will of God than the fact that God loves you and he desires to have a relationship with you. 1 Timothy 2.4 tells us that the Lord's will or his desire is that all men come into the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, God created everything. He created you and he, he created me. And he created us to have a relationship with him. However, on our own, we are in complete spiritual darkness. Unable to access the Father. Our sin has separated us from God. Romans tells us that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans also goes on and tells us that the the wages for that sin or the payment for that sin is death. In eternity, in spiritual darkness, in eternity, separated from God, in a place that the Bible calls hell. Oh, but praise God. Praise God. He desires a relationship with you so much that he sent his only son to this earth. John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever so believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus, he came into this earth. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life, making him the only worthy sacrifice. He died on a cross, was buried, and he rose again on the third day, conquering death, conquering hell, conquering our punishment, our wage that we owe for our sin. The Bible tells us that it's by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, that we can know that we have a home in heaven. It's not by our works of righteousness. It's by Jesus and by Jesus alone. Romans 10, 9 tells us that all we have to do is confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead and thou shall be saved. 10, 13 lets us know just who this invitation is for. It says for whosoever, that's anyone, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you so much for listening. 
If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.